Welcome to another episode of Bush's Board Game Thing. You join me, Andy Bush, uh, joined by producer Ross over there in uh, his, uh, we've talked about this before, illustrious uh, loft. He appears to be in a loft with recording equipment. Uh, We've got Brian over there and we've got Jess as well. And Jess appears to be wearing dungarees uh, in this episode. Yeah! I like dungarees. I like like dungarees. I've got the dungaree... Dungaree dress on. Very nice. Uh, this, the only thing Thank is that you. makes you look, makes you look like a toddler. That's the only thing I would say. That's no, not it very doesn't. nice. It does. If I see anyone in in dungarees, I just think, why are you dressed like a child? I would love to be able Jesus. to. Um, I'd love to be able to pull off a pair of dungarees. Sounds terrible. It sounds like an attack. What I mean is, uh, I'd love to be able to wear them <laughs> and for it to be okay, and for me to not look like I have issues. So look, it's good to have you all on board. This week's episode is about creating a board game, which is going to be very, very cool. If you've ever had an idea in your head, you think, I've played a lot of games. I know what would make a great board game. This is the podcast to listen to this evening. At the very end, we're going to be chatting to uh, a man who has created some top-level board games himself, Mr. James M. Hewitt, uh, the designer of uh, the new Devil May Cry board game, which has just come out on Kickstarter, Hellboy, the board game as well. And he was the co-designer of the amazing Blitz Bowl, which is a spin-off of of, uh, Blood. Bowl. We're going to get to that in a little bit. Maybe get his view on one of your games in our feature called The Pitch. Uh, in the interim, since we spoke to you last week, uh, Brian and I did an Instagram live chat with a load of you guys uh, the other night. A couple of people said, uh, why wasn't Jess on? How will Jess feel about the fact that Brian and I looked like we were pitching some kind of double act thing on Instagram? Uh, Jess, just to prove to everyone there's no hard lines, is there, about what took place? There isn't. Unfortunately, my fee's too high. Um, my appearance fee for Instagram Lives is very high, um, so they couldn't afford me, unfortunately, so they weren't for Brian instead. So. Which I'm surprised, because Zatu normally have got a little bit of cash, and if they couldn't stretch to, what was it, two packets of Watsits and a can of Fanta? It was. Yeah, it yeah. was, yeah, yeah, yeah. One final thing about the Instagram Live that we did uh, on Tuesday night, and, and by the way, we're going to do this every week now, and it'll be a different combination of us doing it. Um, half seven every Tuesday night at Board Game Thing, which is the way you can get in touch with us as well. We'll do a little Insta Live, and you can ask us any question. The uh, the thing came up again, which I think Brian mentioned right at the first episode when we did this podcast, when it all started, was that... Remember we were talking about um, going to um, conferences or... Ex- what do they call them? Uh, something con, where you go and get dressed up in... Expos. Yeah, he went to Expo, and he went to a, uh, a Star Trek Expo, and you mentioned the story that you saw Tim Burgess from The Charlatans. Well, out. well, well, you I saw- thought... You yeah, thought. so I was sure. Do you remember that period, and he's still got the haircut, where he changed his hair to this weird sort of... But you know, like a mop, like a mop yeah. blonde haircut. You look and like I Sally Gunner. Th- <laughs> yeah, and I thought I saw um, what who I thought was Tim Burgess, and I was sure it was him. But like I say, I'm not, you know, not going to claim definitely 100%. Here, here's the interesting thing. During the course of that conversation on Tuesday night, quite a few of our fantastic... Um, um, uh, board game thing listeners tweeted Tim Burgess to say, "Come on then, Tim, are you a Trekkie or not?" And he's normally a guy who replies quite a bit on Twitter. Absolute wall of silence from uh, Tim. Almost suspicious You're wall joking. of radio silence. Do you know what I mean? Let's just keep quiet. Let the storm pass. Do you know what I mean? So this episode is about designing your own game. On the way, we're going to be speaking to James and Hugh about how you do create your own board game. Uh, just a quick question before we're going to hear from Brian and his board game factor of the week in a minute. Uh, did you have a game that you made up when you were a kid? 
that you like made up a game that you really enjoyed. Let me tell you about one that I made up with my brother Simon from back in the day. Uh, and if you're bored and locked down at home, you might want to give this a go. And this is a genuine game that we used to play. And, and at the time, I thought it was fantastic. It's a physical game. What we would do is just be oh, in... Oh, mate, mate, hang on, hang on, hang on. Are you sure yeah. you want to talk about this? Some sort of physical game you and it's your brother a used to game. play? Yeah, I mean, we grew up in Devon, like. country bumpkins, that kind of thing. So what we would do... <laughs> And this does sound weird. We'd just be in our underpants. This is when we were like 10 or 11. Okay? So we're just in our underpants. Are you, Bear what? with me on this. Bear with me on this. Hang on. I'm, listen, again, are you sure you want to go down this route? What we would call it is bedtime gladiators. Okay? Now, oh, again, no. hear me out. Hear me out on this. Hear me out on this. So, you bedtime had a... Bedtime di- gladiators. Bedtime gladiators. You had, you had both in your underpants. One person, and you, you get to choose the weapons. One person has... Two pill, um, which is um, two pillows, which are two small pillows in his hands. The other person has one giant pillow. Okay, so one person's got a pillow for a shield and a smaller sword pillow, like you would do if you were in gladiatorial combat. Okay, so we're, you're on your knees on the bed. That's how it works. It's, you have to be on your knees. <laughs> it's true. And then what you do is you wear you wear a pillow. You wear another pillow as a helmet. So you know if you put a, the, the front bit of a pillow over your forehead, so the back of it weighs up like that, like a. It's just like a spike. Like what you mean, like uh, the Pope, like the Pope, like sort the Pope, of like the Pope. So you wear thing. the top of the pillow right. okay. on your head like a Pope. And the point of the gladiator bedtime gladiator combat is that you've got to knock the other person's <laughs> helmet off their head, and then that oh, means you've okay. won the bout. So you defend That's with the shield enough. or work with the with a smaller ludus. How do you how do you knock it off just by swimming? It's literally. Are you just hang on? You it's a, this is a pillow fight. It, it's but it's more than a pillow oh, fight. Yeah. It's more than a pillow fight. It's because pillow fights normally just whacking each other in the face. This is but you know whether you've got shield and ludus, the smaller one, or you've got uh, the one big kind of um, trident thing. You've got to knock the other person's <laughs> headpiece off. It's amazing. Give it a, genuinely. Give it a go. Uh, never before I've been so relieved to say it's time for Brian's Board Game Fact of the Week. Brian's Board Game Fact of the Week. Uh, right, do you want to hear my Fact of the Week or not, yeah, guys? Yeah, yeah. Come yeah on. go on, go on, go on, go on. Yes, come on! Lizzie, Henry, Homer and Harry. Lizzie, Henry, Homer and Harry. That's my Fact of the Week. Um, they are people... From a game. They are, but what game is it from? Ooh. A very well-known game. Very well-known game. Cluedo. Guess who? Guess who? Guess who? You're is wrong. Ah, oh, damn, I thought Jess was right then. Cluedo. Uh, um, oh, oh, Happy Families. Nope. Game no. of Life. The Game of Life. Nope. Nope. It's a game, Give I would say, for, for, young, for younger children. Everyone had it. I would say every household had it. It's a staple board game. But these four characters have names, but we just never knew. But they do have names. Ooh. Oh. So you're going to leave this... Is it a card game? Card game? card game or, like, board game? Board game. Definitely a board game. Is this going to be a board game fact of the week that we just leave out there and then the public come back to us? No, I think, I think we need to satiate, satiate our audience. Okay. Uh, so there's four of them. There's four of them. Two of them are facing each other and the other two are facing the other, other two-person thing. <laughs> if you're looking above from they're in the formation of a cross... Are they, they're not on okay. a bed. They're not on they, a bed wearing just their underpants and then they've got pillows. <laughs> no, no, mate, not <laughs> that. Okay, I'll tell you what. They they kill more tourists per year than sharks or alligators. Oh. They have big mouths. 
They're very oh. hungry. Hungry hippos. Oh, hungry hippos. Hungry, hungry, hippos. hungry, hungry hippos. Hungry hippos. The hungry hippos yeah. have names, and those names are uh, Lizzie, Henry, Homer, and Harry. That's brilliant. That's a really good one. That's top five facts. For that me. is a good fact. Really, it might come out in a pub quiz at some point when we're ever allowed to go to a pub again. One other thing, you just said there that they eat loads of tourists. What do you mean by that? So everyone goes on about how alligators or lions kill the most amount of people, but the most the the most dangerous animal per head in the wild is the hippo. Can't Hippos kill more right. people than any other. Not many other animal, but you know what I mean in that area. How do they do that, though? They're just like lazy gets. It's because they're really hungry. They're hungry. They just want to eat you. Oh, jeez. Hey. So are you two working on that gag? Because that's just absolutely ruined. This is ruined the whole thing for me. <laughs> Brian, as Jess said, I think that's top five. Plus Brian's board game fact of the week. Bush's board game thing. Uh, right, so cracking fact from Brian, and there'll be another one for you next week. Uh you can get in touch with us there's a ton of different ways two main ways either go via our insta at board game thing but we've got ourselves a fancy new email address and it's been an honor to have so many emails coming from you guys during the course of the week podcast at zatu.co.uk jess what's been coming in on the wires so we've got an email from stacy hundley and she says hi board game crew i'm a massive fan of the podcast and wondered if you'd settle an argument i had about 13 years ago with an old boyfriend over monopoly she says, we were playing, and as is common, I had one colour. So in the property set, she had one of the colours. Let's say it's the orange ones. Okay. So she had one of the colour, and he had two of the colour. And apparently he got in a mood with her for not playing the game right because she wouldn't give him that one property so he had a complete set. And he said the point of the game was to help other players so they could build houses, etc. And Stacy said, no, the point is to collect the most money for yourself preventing others from getting more money so she wants so she said who was right as you can see this has played on my mind for years and it even affects how i think about the game thanks for any board game advice stacy from birmingham um i am uh, i'm upset for stacy i'm really upset for stacy i i honestly that's not cool that's not what Monopoly is about, helping people Do you think out. Monopoly is about running a mortgage company or help to buy, like, 15% and going in with the government and stuff like that? Well, <laughs> I, I can't believe he's been going in. Monopoly is it's funny because it's like a family game, but it's also really cutthroat and really awful, and you're trying to drive your rivals into bankruptcy, right? Yeah, it's ruthless, and that's how it should be. Stacey, in my opinion, you are completely right. Why would you give him the property so then he can start winning? Well, no, it's not. Cool. What do you think, Brian? In a way, Monopoly is 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 a bit like real life. Do we want to be selfish? Do we want to do we want to be a slave to capitalism, or do we want to let a little bit of sort of socialism into our lives and help other people? Uh, one thing that came up during our um, Insta Live on Tuesday was uh, Brian's infuriating way of uh, giving directions. And what he does, if he didn't, uh, you weren't on the Instagram live chat. What he does is this. He goes onto Google Maps, goes to Google Street View, and then walks you through by dragging the mouse step by step, 100 yards at a time. It's the most infuriating thing on this planet. It's absolutely unbelievable. So, you know you know when you revise for exams, if you read the book, it doesn't go in. If you write down notes, it goes in. That's my thing with direction. You look at the map, you see where you are, it goes into your body, into your mind, and you know then. I'm, I'm, I'm almost like a London taxi driver, essentially. So it's great fun to be talked through directions real in real time by Brian when you just want you know, a two-hour trip to Bristol with him dragging along the M4 bit by bit. It's funny, someone has uh, tweeted in just after we finished up with the little chat on Tuesday. Nicola said, uh, given your apparent love of 
of Google Street View, Brian, may I recommend GeoGuessr app? Now, this is amazing, right? What it does, it dumps you somewhere in the world and you have to nosy about on Google Street View and figure out where you are. It's like a geography detective. Oh, I went and played it that evening. I went and played it that evening and I love it. And also, I... I'm not. I'm not trying to exaggerate here. I'm probably the best player of it in the world. It was so good. <laughs> I. I tell you why I'm good at it. I tell you why I'm good at it. You ever watching a TV show, right? And it's set in America, and you're like, "That's not America. That is not America. Just Those know. street signs mm. are not the same as the proper America ones. That's either Canada or somewhere in England. They've just put up some signs. Same thing the other way around when they try and do England in American shows. Do you ever watch the uh, the Circle? You ever heard of the Circle? Love the circle. Are you into it, Bush? Love the circle. Watch the UK version. And now they're doing the American version, which we're watching at the moment. And what they're trying to do, they're trying to make us believe that it's uh, the same, like, flat, but in America. But it's not. They're using all the establishing shots from outside in England and then pretending... Mm. And I don't think... Oh. I, I don't know if this is 100% true, but the main block of flats that the circle... the It's this programme where everyone sits in, in, in individual rooms and chats to each other via social media. It's like a social media experiment. Um... It's on a roundabout. Now, unless I'm completely wrong, I'm sure there are no roundabouts in the whole of the United States. Is that true? They don't have roundabouts. They don't have roundabouts. They have some. They have some. I watched a TikTok Ah. about it um, this lunchtime. They have a few, but, like, we have, like, so many more. But, yeah, you're right, Bush. Good spot. I love that. If you're an American listening to this podcast and you know about roundabouts, get in touch. Actually, guys, I have some exciting news. Um... It's big. It's a really big moment in my life, actually. Um, there's going to be an addition to to my family. Um, due due very soon. Wow. Big big you've addition. Said, you've said you've not had a. You've been single for. Um, I've already thought of names. Oh. They're going to be called Molly and Ellie. Oh my word! She's having wow. twins. 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 I know. Board board game thing. Twins. Yeah, so the cats are arriving on Sunday. Oh, We're getting cats. I'm the getting prophecy, cats. the prophecy is is becoming true. Cats, you're a cat one, lady. Two. two, two. That is, you know, two more, and you're a cat lady. I don't know about you, Brian. I'm imagining now into the future. These cats haven't even arrived yet, but the vision I'm getting is Jess in. You know, when people well, mentioned it earlier on, wear a cardigan or dressing gown over their normal clothes. Jess is making a cup of tea for herself in the evening. One cat on one shoulder, the other cat, unbeknownst to her, licking the topping off a sandwich that she's left open next to the fridge. Yes. That's what's going on. Oh, my word. It's just dawned on me now. Why don't we do an episode on cat games? There's loads of great cat board games out there. Cat Island is a really good uh, cat board game. Exploding Kittens, is that one? Exploding Kittens. Yeah, 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 definitely. We should do it. We should do an episode on cat games. It's almost written in the stars. Uh, so look, we've been promising this right the way through the podcast. It's a real honour to have this man on our show. He's a bona fide uh, top-level board game designer. So if you've ever had a board game idea floating around your head and thought to yourself, how on earth does it go from just being an idea to actually being someone you might see on a table somewhere and people playing it, uh, we're about to find out. Uh, it's an honour to welcome to the show. It's Mr. James M. Hewitt. Hey, James. Hello, how are you doing? It's great to have you on. I, I put the M in there because in, in, in all our email correspondence, it's been James M. Hewitt. I presume the M You've there is so it. people it, don't it think it's... It makes me Googleable. Googleable rather than uh, James <laughs> Hewitt from the royal family. Uh, but, well, absolutely. But when, when I say James M. Hewitt, it makes you sound like you're a baddie from a Wild West or something like that. Do you know what I mean? So I, I'm okay with that's that, That's good. Though. That's a good thing. I'm all right with that. How are, how are you yeah. doing? How are you getting on during the lockdown and all that kind of stuff? You, you're working from home, I guess? 
Yes, absolutely. It's been good. Um, so I design games uh, with my partner, Sophie, as Needy Cat Games. Uh, we've got a five-year-old, so we're kind of juggling uh, schooling and, you know, all the things, uh, walking a very needy dog and two needy cats, although they need less walking. So uh, We're chatting on video chat at the moment. We can see in the background, Jess, uh, just before we got going, was admiring the amazing backdrop of board games you've got there. I can see mm. you, you've hand-painted some very delicate-looking figures there. One thing that is, is, yes. has been the backdrop to my board gaming experience with kids is that they destroy anything that you've put time into by breaking it and walking around with it. Have you had any of your prized gaming possessions destroyed by your, by your child at all? No, she's been pretty good, but then uh, I've had a lot of, I mean... A lot of our friends had kids before we did. And so I was just told repeatedly, just move things to higher shelves. As they get older, just move the shelves higher and higher and higher. Um, she has, like there was a point when she realised, uh, looking at the board game shelves, that there were games on them. It's like they'd always been there. And then suddenly, I think we'd taken something down to play a game. And she was like, hang on, there are like 50 board games here. And then she'd wanted to play everything. So we kind of, we took five or six games out of the collection that we thought she'd quite like. And they're hers now. Oh, brilliant. And, Get her involved you at know, a young age. I'm the sort of person, yeah, I'm the sort of person that likes putting things away properly. She doesn't. You know, I'm sure she might grow into that, but... I had to sort of let those ones go. They are with her now. So, so James, it's amazing to have you on. Let's just talk about the games that you've designed so far. So, you are mm. the man behind the Devil May Cry board game, which is has just come out. Yes, indeed. Um, yep. Uh, Hellboy, the the board game, uh, you know, based on the comic yep. books and then the movie and everything as well. And then you are the co-designer of, of one of my current favourite games, which is Blitz Bowl, which is a uh, spin-off of Blood Bowl. So, you've you've worked at the highest level. If you when you were at school, what did you want to do, and how did you end up getting into this kind of career? Um, I, I sort of wanted to design games from early on, really. I, I've been designing games since I was a kid. Um, I, I've looked back on them and they were dreadful. But, you know, the, the, the willing was there. And so, yeah, I've been designing games forever and I always wanted to kind of give it, get into it and give it a go. I didn't have any clue of how to do it, though, because there has never been like a clear career path, you yeah. know. It's, it's not a job that really exists. When we applied for a mortgage a few years ago... Um, Game designer did not exist. Big Game Hunter, weirdly, did exist on the mortgage drop-down <laughs> form. Uh, so someone apparently <laughs> applied for a, board, for, for a mortgage as a Big Game Hunter. But yeah, so I've always kind of wanted to do it, but I never knew how to do it. And so I sort of played career pinball for about uh, 15 years and eventually just managed to kind of get a foot in the door working as a community manager for Mantic Games, who are uh, based up here in Nottingham, where I am. And uh, through working with them, I learned a lot about the process that goes into making games and then ended up working as a game designer for Games Workshop, who I think are currently bigger than British Gas or something. Someone Huge. told me this recently. Wow. They're, yeah. they're, they're bigger than the fishing industry and yet nothing's been said about them in the past few months. Wow. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's like, it's like a big UK uh, tabletop gaming powerhouse. And I was lucky enough to work there for about three and a half years designing games. Um, which is fascinating because you get to see your stuff go in front of, you know, tens of thousands of people. Um, wow. And the internet is always kind. No one ever says a bad word. Uh, I, bet it's, I mean, it is cutthroat. I mean, I'm, I'm quite a geek in that I'm on yeah. um, Board Game Geek quite a bit in the forums and I'll, you know, um, studiously read reviews from people of board games before I play them and we try them out on the podcast yeah. and everything. But how, how, as a games designer, game designer, do you go and look at reviews or do you just not bother? You know, like so a couple on the radio station that I work on, on Absolute Radio, some of the the bigger name stars that are on it, they just won't have yeah. any text, won't have any tweets, they just don't want to see it. So, how do you approach press like that? I, I totally get it. Sense, the sensible answer is no, I don't read a thing. I, li I let it all slide off me. Um, I pay no attention. 
the actual answer is, of course I do. You know, you know, I'm really curious to find out what people like. And because I used to, you know, work for a year as a community manager in the industry, I kind of spent a lot of time going out and looking at all the different forums and you know, board game geek and all these things. And so I still kind of hang around those places anyway. And it is weird when I see my name pop up on stuff, mm. and then I have to you know dig deeper. And then I end up Googling reviews and thinking, oh, yeah, that, that, yeah, they've made some good points there. That could have been better or whatever, you know. I'm my own biggest critic, though. And so usually I end up just agreeing with the bad reviews and going, yeah, 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 absolutely. He's right, he's right. You're completely right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, but when, when a nice one comes through, it is, it is lovely. Um, and, I mean, to me, the whole thing, like designing games is sort of like, I always liken it to writing music. Yeah. Um, if you're a composer, for example, not to make myself sound too highbrow, because you know, let's face it, uh, but you're designing a thing that isn't complete. A game isn't finished until it gets into the player's hands and they play it. In the same way that when a composer writes music, it's not until an orchestra picks it up, for example. And so, to me, those reviews are vital because that's how I get to see: have I done a good job here? Is this working? And we can, you know, we test it loads in house, but it's not until it goes out there and we get an opinion. Um, and yeah, it's it's fascinating. I, I I love it. I love that that side of it. James, what you just said there about testing, I was going to ask you what the process is because obviously you have to test it like quite a few times to make sure that gameplay goes and like cards and rules and stuff. Like, what do you do? You just get like a group of people and just give them the game, and you just sit in the corner and kind of go, oh, yeah, is it going to go yeah. right? It's, I mean. Uh, like an average a modern board game, you're looking at hundreds of hours of playtesting. Wow! Um, <gasps> because you've got to think. Tell me, tell me, you watch you them through a, a two-way uh, mirror, James. Tell me, you watch them through a two-way mirror. <laughs> yeah. I have recorded people. I've, 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 I've like with their consent. I'll be uh, clear. Okay. <laughs> I've checked with people first and recorded them because the problem is you don't want to be in the room influencing. Them. Yes, you want to kind of be getting yeah. that. You know. Yeah. Uh, their oh, their their proper feedback, and so yeah, I I've recorded people and like sat in the next room watching and you know uh, writing down you know timestamps at three minutes this thing happened and uh, that's not great but um yeah like a test of a game looks a lot like playing a game the only difference is you're doing it with um with a purpose you know with an intention you're sitting down looking what is working what is not working and the things you're looking for vary at different stages in the process so the way we design games we start off with a really rough kind of version of it and at that point we're generally just testing it ourselves in-house playing games again and again does the basic engine of the game work you know does it does it function and then as we go on we gradually introduce more and more external people and then you start to look for is it balanced you know do, are there different ways to kind of play it and different ways to win mm. um, and, and eventually the last thing we test is usually what we call a blind test which is where you just give the game to someone and that's when you step back out the room and say right play it and then yeah. you're seeing does the rule book work so I'm sure if you've played some board games you've hit some rule books that make you go what? this is this is one oh, of the, my yeah. biggest bugbears with with yeah. the hobby is it, it's so weird that they have these amazing vibrant beautifully made games and again and again writing of rules conveying to people how your amazing game plays yeah. is there's been so many games there's so many games i've got in my collection that that are great games that never get the credit they deserve they never get the the, the chance in the spotlight because the rule book is is a barrier to anyone actually wanting to play so is it almost a different rule set though do you think different not a different um skill set in many ways do you think i was about to say exactly that yeah they are two completely separate things so writing designing games and writing rules are completely separate skill sets i will put my hand up and say i'm a much better game designer than a rules writer i'm working on that side of things but you can design a game without any written rules and just teach it to people. I mean, and anyone who's listening, if you've ever played Monopoly, how many times have you read the rule book? 
Never. Know, usually you, you get it taught by someone or, you know, Scrabble, all the classic games that people know, they're generally taught. And so the rule book is totally a separate thing. And the rule book kind of has to do the heavy lifting of teaching a game yeah. as well as being like a reference you can go back to. And it's all these different things you have to think so about. So if someone's listening right now and they've got an idea for a board game, how, do you have to be part of, a, of an, an in-house part of a company to be able to get your game out there into the market? You know, if someone's got an idea for a game, they're listening to this, what, what, what would be your advice, James, for them to try and get it out there? Yeah, the top advice I would do is make it. Just make it. Don't worry about trying to get it sold or published or anything first because before you even get to that stage, you've got to make it. And that's the hard part. And a lot of people try to run before they can walk. We, I see loads of people. We get emails. Uh, I get asked by people in person. I've got a great idea for a game. How do I get it published? It's like, well, yeah, you've got the idea. Now go and spend that 100 hours of testing yeah. to actually get it made. And actually, it is such a fun process. Now, I'm biased because I do it for a living and I've always wanted to do it. But genuinely, designing games is fun. We, we run like a game design course. We, we used to do them in person, but that was in the before times. Oh, right. uh, we, 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 <laughs> before we ran it online about this time last year. Yeah, and um, <laughs> what we did in that, when, when we first ran it, we did a full day uh, like session and in the morning we talked about the theory of game design and in the afternoon we cracked open loads of components and things and said right everyone you've got half an hour to make a game off you go oh wow and the first time we ran it we were like is it gonna work because the whole point was it was do, do something in half an hour and then we'll test it and iterate and work on those designs and the first time we did it we were like what if this just falls flat because these people have spent money they've traveled they've come here um what if it doesn't work but no everyone sat down and the ideas that were coming out were incredible it was so inspirational and so i think that everyone who plays games has got it in them to design a game and all you've got to do is put that effort in and do it and there's all sorts of stuff you can read online different methods and things but yeah just do it so uh, yeah i've got a question actually because th- what you've just said now is quite interesting to me because i've always like th- when i've been thinking about games or, or thinking about doing a game or making a game what always puts doesn't put me off but w- what i think would be off putting to people is the permutations the 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 things that you have the basic concept and then you have three things happen and then from the, one of those things another three things happen and then <laughs> and it turns out that you might get to a point where the whole game is a sort of fallacy because it, none of it makes sense because of of the basic rules so like when you teach the course or when you have the basic rules of game design is there like a set is there a way of? Is it almost like a formula, like of doing it? I know, obviously, you can't say formula, but like, is there a is there a yeah, specific yeah, yeah. way of doing it? Because that, to me, is the stuff that just makes my head hurt when you think about all the. I mean, have you ever made a game where you've got to a certain point and you found like a serious flaw with oh, the basic concept? Literally two weeks ago. <laughs> right, two okay, weeks okay. ago, this happened to us. Yeah, and and it's like. Um, and and it, it derailed everything. You know, we worked quite a tight schedule and suddenly we had to spend a, a week pulling things apart right. and fixing them. But the only way you find those things out is by testing. So yeah. it's pure, just just pure brawn, isn't it? It's just pure just yeah, getting on Yeah, and with I think it. people have their own approaches. I'm sure there are some designers who will sit down and theorise and just blurt a game out right. fully formed. But we find the best thing to do is start really small. So just think of like what is... Forget the big beginning and the end of the game. Just think, in the middle of the of, of a game, what does one player's turn look like? Right. You know, what are they trying to do on their turn? Mm. Mm. Um, and then from there, you can start, start going out. So are they rolling dice? Are they playing cards? Are they drawing things from a bag? Are they putting a hat on and pointing at their friends? There's all different things. A game can be anything. And you kind of grab all that, and then you just gradually start building outwards. And you test throughout, and eventually you'll find mistakes. But if you start very simple the number of things that can go wrong is reduced. Of course, yeah, yeah. So you gradually build outwards. 
one thing that's this that we've we've certainly got from people getting in touch with the podcast is that uh because of lockdown there's been this kind of appetite for solo games which before solo board gaming was like a seen as like weird like necromancy or something like that uh, and i think people have, <laughs> have looked at it differently now well you know if you want to do something that isn't flipping watching netflix or playing candy crush saga on your phone and you want to play one of these great games you've got on your shelf then solo rules is it do you feel like there's a there's a change in the industry to sort of accommodate one yeah. player because i know that devil may cry obviously you can play that from one player upwards as well yeah. is that a bit of a change you've noticed as well that it has to have a solo mode I think so. Weirdly, Devil May Cry, I wrote it two to four players, but um, the team at Steamforge Games who published it, they commissioned us to write it. Um, when the Kickstarter was running for it, loads of people were like, can we play it solo? Can we play it solo? Can we play it solo? And so I chatted to the Steamforge Games guys and they were like, we should do this. And I was really resistant at first, but I've played it solo and it's much better. It, it really works. So they, they, they just <laughs> right, it works. But yeah, no, I think there's definitely like, the industry reacts to stuff like any industry and um, anything that happens in the real world affects it and i think you're right um solo games but also games that are designed to be played over webcam i've seen these start to be developed or games that are designed uh, digitally on uh, things like tabletopia or tabletop simulator which are digital board gaming uh, programs um but yeah solo games are, t- are, are having a massive resurgence right now uh, I've been playing one called uh, cool. Under Falling Skies, which is like a little... It's like Space Invaders, the board game, and it's dice oh, rolling. Wow. It's got little adorable plastic uh, aliens that come gradually come down the screen at you. Um, and yeah, it's not a thing I've really designed much of. I, I would love to design a game that is purely designed, like intended as, as a solo game. Uh, I yeah. just haven't had the time recently. Well, we do a thing on this podcast called The Pitch. It's a weekly feature where uh, our uh, our listeners suggest or pitch to us an idea for a board game. Uh, we thought we'd, we'd put this one to you, uh, James. This is from one of our listeners called Darren, who sent this in on a voice note. So if we play Darren's idea to you, um, you can give your, your brutal, honest opinion of whether you think it's any good or not. So, right, here we go. Here's Darren's idea. Hi, board game thing. It's Darren here. My pitch for a board game is a war game set in the world of the Glasgow Ice Cream Wars of the early 80s. You and three other players will be uh, roaming around the city of Glasgow in your ice cream van business, battling each other for the best pitches, but all along you're secretly smuggling drugs. Think about it, it's going to have everything. You've got route-to-route planning, you've got pick-up-and-deliver, you've got a bit of combat, and you've got... 99 flakes. It's going to be brilliant. There you go. That's Darren's idea. Initial impressions on that, James? What do you think? I, I love it. What, why isn't it on Kickstarter already? Watch the um, space. Yeah. <laughs> it's a cracking theme. This is the thing. I think, you know, new themes are, are where it's at. You know, things that people haven't done yet. And that's, that's perfect. Uh, well, listen, it's been an honour to have you on. James, tell us what uh, your latest project is that you're working on. I always keep an eye out for your games because they're always different and very, very cool. What, what's the latest oh, thing you. You, you're working on at the moment? Uh, at the minute, I'm working on, among other things, a game called Myth and Goal, which is, uh, you mentioned Blitz Bowl earlier, which is like a fantasy sports game. Uh-huh. Uh, this is a different fantasy sports game. I'm not trying to pigeonhole myself here, but um, <laughs> it's a game for uh, t- t- around two players. There might be more, there might be fewer. We're still developing that thing. We're introducing a solo play mode um, because, of course, as, as we said, solo play is where it's at right now. Oh yeah. But yeah, it's like a, a fantasy sports game. Uh, orcs and elves and things uh, kicking each other around and throwing a ball, and it's it's fun because it's it's something I've worked I've worked around that kind of stuff previously with Blood Bowl and Blitz Bowl, and this is a chance to do something completely different with the same theme. So it's got its own challenges, but I'm loving it. So that'll be on Kickstarter, I think, later this year. 
Uh, well, listen, mate, we really appreciate it. It's an honour to have you on the podcast. Uh, James Hewitt, thank you very much. Thank you. Right then, competition time from last week on Board Game Thing. Uh, we asked you the question, if you've had a board gaming strop before, get in touch. A chance to win the fantastically named Quacks of Quedlingburg game, I think I'm saying that right, by the lovely people at Coiled Spring Games. Uh, we had some great strops come into the show. Guys, what do we have? Okay, we've had one from David McKinnon-Bell, and he said, Back in the day, my brothers and I were playing Trivial Pursuit, and when I answered the question, in what sport is the Calcutta Cup played with rugby, my brother said, wrong, rugby union, much later, after a long and bitter argument that almost ended in fists. I remember too late that my girlfriend was sitting across the room. This was the first time she'd met my family. Fortunately, she's a very tolerant person and we were still together 27 years later. But we do spend Christmas with her family these days. Do you know what? Like Stuff like that just annoys me. Uh, Andy, you'll know more than me uh, about, is it uh, Star Wars Return of the Jedi when uh, Luke Skywalker's fighting Darth Vader and the Emperor's there going, yes, 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 fight him. (laughs) That's what I'm like. That is what I'm like. I I love it. I think Trivial Pursuit is is the purest game in the world. I love the the pettiness and the bitterness. And I'm with with the guy that said, no, you've got to say Rugby Union. It says Rugby Union. It says Rugby Union on the thingy. I've told you before, we're not allowed to play Trivial Pursuit. Pursuit in, the, in, in our house because my wife's banned me from it because she says like it's winding me up even thinking about it but we've got one winning we've got one winning message who's the winner of our little competition then okay so the winning entry is from Adam Edwards he writes um, my wonderful wife Virginia and our two teenage daughters Indiana and Alabama yes those are genuinely their names had been playing the regular vanilla game of Pandemic for some time so we decided to give the legacy version a go that's the one where you just get one hit I think and it was all going swimmingly keeping global diseases under control for months until the bitter end. We took our time to play through the entire campaign, which was superb fun and full of twists and wonderful surprises. We lost a couple of games along the way and did our best to make sure London remained safe no matter what. Analysis paralysis hit us all as the struggle became desperate and we tried to play out moves in advance, fighting for the best way through to success. At the climax, we were all on the edge of our seats. It was finally looking promising. But this is a game that will rip away any hope at the turn of a card and it did a chain reaction hit us hard south america had been ravaged the middle east was overrun and london fell we were done defeat it was over 18 months on from our first session i'd not seen such despair in the eyes of my daughters before or since and this is the best bit right he says they then had what they call a collective board flipping moment they took the game out into the garden they saved a few bits and bobs as mementos And they, I quote, ceremoniously made an offering to the analogue gaming gods and torched it. I love that. (laughs) I love that. We here at the board game thing do not condone the burning of games. No, I I condone the burning of games. (laughs) (laughs) Completely. Isn't that illegal? Like, you know, burning a flag is like illegal or treason or mutiny or something like that? I think that's fair enough. If it's, if it's a one here and it's and it's it's done you over, it's done you dirty at the end. So that's Adam Edwards. Adam Edwards is the winner. Well done to Adam. He's won himself a copy of The Quacks of Quedlingburg by Coiled Spring Games. Good lad. Uh, if, like Darren, speaking to James a bit earlier on pitching his board game, you get involved with the pitch uh, by the time we get uh, to do this podcast next week, you'll be in to win a very fancy Zatu dice tray. What about that? It clips up and clips down so you can take it with you wherever you go. If your pitch uh, is the best one next week on our regular feature, The Pitch, you could win yourself a Zatu dice tray. Uh, before we go, let me recommend uh, a... Um, 
what we would call a companion podcast in our little house of podcasts that we do here. Uh, it's by my partner in crime on Absolute Radio, Mr. Richie Firth. It's called Richie Firth Travel Hacker. Uh, if you know the radio show or you know Richie, he's a man who is obsessed with the A to Z of travel, everything about travelling around. So in the previous series of Travel Hacker, he's travelled from London to Manchester via Southampton Airport to show that flying is quicker than on a train. He's circumnavigated the M25 in under two hours to show that it's not a motorway to be feared. He's undergone a world record attempt on the London Underground and Overground. In fact, he didn't do the Underground, he did the Overground, unsuccessfully, either way. And now, in the midst of the pandemic, uh, they want to hear from listeners about journeys they want Richie to make so they can make sure they're hacked properly and they're travel-ready when finally... God willing, we can get back out there. So make sure you don't miss the third series, the brand new series of Richie Firth Travel Hacker. It's fantastic. And the new season starts this week. That's pretty much it from us. Uh, thank you for your company as ever. Make sure you keep sending us those messages. We absolutely love it. At Board Game Thing on Instagram. Uh, keep an eye out for Tuesday night. I think Jess is going to be debuting in our uh, Insta Live chat Q&A at 7.30 on Tuesday night. Or you can drop us an email, podcast at zatu.co.uk. And a big thank you as well to the team at Zatu Games, who are the guys behind this podcast. Thank you to producer Ross. We've got a big thank you to Brian, and a big thank you to Jess. Keep an eye out for some chat uh, around cats in the next episode, and we will see you then.